You can be seated. So glad you're here. Welcome. want to welcome those of you that are joining us online as well. So glad that you are. Real quick before we get started, want to mention that uh, this upcoming Tuesday, 7 p.m. here in the sanctuary is our prayer meeting. Really hope that you'll be able to come out and join with us and pray with us. Uh, we have two services on Sunday mornings, of course, the first of which is the weekly Bible prophecy update that we've been doing for a number of years now. And then second service, which will be at 11.15 a.m. Hawaii time for those of you online. Um, that's the sermon, a verse by verse study through the Bible. And today we're going to address the very popular topic that everyone loves to hear about, talk about. You're supposed to wait before you start laughing, but you already see it there. Um, yeah, it's a, a real comfortable, uh, warm, fuzzy topic about judgment is coming. So uh, hope you'll stay for those of you that are here. Uh, you kind of have to now, because we'll know if you don't. For those of you watching by way of YouTube or Facebook, we would encourage you to go directly to the website at jdfarag.org for the uninterrupted and uncensored entirety of today's update. And with that, let's get to it. Today I want to borrow the idiom, waiting for the other shoe to drop. Uh, you've heard this, right, this saying? Well, I want to talk about this as it relates to where the world is at now, and here's why. The meaning of the idiom is that of waiting for an expected and inevitable event to occur, often seen as something negative or catastrophic. And the reason it's expected is because the first shoe already dropped. And now it's just a matter of time before the other shoe drops. What's interesting about the origin of this saying, this idiom, is that it actually came from the late 19th century in New York City, when construction at that time was not like it is today. And so in these apartment complexes, you would have your bedroom right underneath the other person's bedroom in the floor above you. They would come home from work, take off their shoes, you would hear that first shoe drop, and then you would just wait, because you knew, how am I doing with this, by the way? I, was, <laughs> I got you looking up going, yeah, that's, that's what Jesus said to do. Look up, wait for that, because it's going to drop. It's just a matter of time, because there's two shoes, right? Are we good? Yeah. So the first one dropped. Okay. Dun, 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 dun. When's the other one going to drop? Yeah, that was pretty good. Good jingle. You'll never forget that, by the way. So that's where it originated. And it's uncanny because so too is this true with Bible prophecy such that the first shoe has already dropped. And now it's just a matter of time before the other shoe also drops. Question, when did the first one drop? And perhaps more importantly, what was it prophetically that dropped? Answer, well, let's answer the when first. The first shoe dropped three years ago in the year 2020. And the answer to what is the powerful deception that dropped on the entire world. 
the entire world. Now the question becomes one of what's the last shoe to drop in terms of prophecy? And again, perhaps more importantly, when? Well, let's answer this twofold question. First, when? It absolutely has to drop at any time now. And this by virtue of what the other shoe represents. What does the other shoe represent? Sudden destruction coming down, and the sudden rapture of the church when we're caught up. That's the other shoe that's about to drop. In other words, the other shoe is the rapture, pre-tribulation rapture of the church, then the Antichrist's revelation, then the commencement of the seven-year tribulation. May I invite you to join me in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. I will never tire of reading this well-known passage concerning the rapture. The Apostle Paul, let me just kind of give you a quick backstory so you know the why behind the what of this first letter to this church. Uh, the Apostle Paul spent at the very most, some believe, three months when he started this church in Thessalonica. And if you can imagine, the Apostle Paul had the audacity to teach them Bible prophecy. They're new believers. I know, the best kind. And he not only teaches them Bible prophecy, he teaches them about the pre-tribulation rapture. One more thing on this. This is the first letter that the Apostle Paul would ever write. His second letter, inspired by the Holy Spirit, was 2 Thessalonians. I know that's deeply profound because, and by the way, we're going to be in 2 Thessalonians today as well. So I want to draw your attention to chapter 4, beginning in verse 16. And we're actually going to go on through to chapter 5, verse 3. And the reason is, is that, I hope you know this, there were no chapter and verse breaks in the original manuscripts. It read as a contiguous letter. So they were added, and I'm so glad they did. Could you imagine trying to get you to turn to towards the end of this letter, and I couldn't cite chapter and verse? So those were added, but I don't want us to sever the continuing narrative that Paul is writing to them about. So let's begin in verse 16, 1 Thessalonians 4. For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God. That's significant. There's two kinds of trumpets. There's the trumpet of angels for Israel, the trumpet of God for the church. There's the first trumpet, the last trumpet. Please make that distinction and delineation. So with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. This is their bodily resurrection. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up harpazo in the Greek, rapturous in the Latin. This is the rapture. We who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore comfort one another with these words. Now he continues. But, verse 1, chapter 5, concerning the times and, <clears throat> pardon me, the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. 
For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, some of your translations render that word security. It's the Greek word asphalia, translated security, safety, stability. When they're saying those two words, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. Now why do I emphasize that? Because notice Paul says, we, and then he says, they. We are the we. We are not the they. I hope you got that, because that's the best I got. <laughs> we escape. They don't. We are caught up. They are not. Uh, sudden destruction. Here's the thing about sudden destruction. Again, I know deeply profound. You know, I stay up at night thinking about these profound things. You know what sudden destruction is? It's sudden the destruction. <laughs> Told you, I stay up at night thinking about these things. Key word sudden. It comes suddenly, unexpectedly upon them, not us. We escape, they shall not escape. And so what Paul is saying here is, <laughs> we're going to be caught up, raptured up at a time when they are saying two specific words, peace and security, peace and stability. Let's go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. I want to begin reading in verse 1, and I'm actually going to read from the 1599 Geneva Bible. This predates the 1611 King James Bible, verse 1. Now we beseech you, we beg you, please, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and I want you to notice this, and by our assembling unto Him. Did you catch that? The coming of our Lord Jesus Christ is the second coming our assembling unto Him is the rapture. That ye, verse 2, here's that word again, be not suddenly moved from your mind, nor troubled, neither by spirit, nor by word, nor by letter, as it were from us, as though the day of Christ were at hand. Let no man deceive you by any means, verse 3, for that day shall not come except there come a departure, departing rapture first. That's the rapture. Has to happen first. And that that man of sin be disclosed, even the son of perdition which is an adversary, and exalteth himself against all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he doth sit as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Remember ye not, verse 5, that when I was yet with you, I told you these things. And now ye know what withholdeth or restraineth, that he might be revealed in his time. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he which now withholdeth, restrains, shall let till he be taken out of the way. And then, oh, because Geneva, 1599, was local. Oh. And then shall that wicked man be revealed, not before, 
whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth, and shall abolish with the brightness of his coming. Daniel 9.27, please don't get whiplash on me. I know I'm, but this comports with this Second Thessalonians 2 prophecy. It also comports with what we affectionately refer to as the Olivet Discourse, when Jesus Himself in Matthew 24 quotes Daniel 9.27. Daniel writes, He will confirm, that's an interesting word in the original language of the Hebrew Old Testament. It just so happens to be the same word in my native tongue of Arabic. It's the word ikbir. Ikbir means to make stronger, greater, spectacular, superior. He will make ikbir, confirm a covenant with many for one seven. That's the seven year tribulation. In the middle of the seven, the three and a half year mark, He will put an end to sacrifice and offering. And at the temple, He will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out on Him. Daniel chapter 8. This is all going to fit beautifully together in a moment. Verses 24 and 25, we're told that the Antichrist will destroy wonderfully. I know that's a paradox, an oxymoron, destroy wonderfully. What does that mean? Well, it carries with it the idea of extraordinary annihilation. It's spectacular again. And notice this word, uh, prosper. He will prosper at this extraordinary annihilation and destruction. He will be met with success, prosperity. And through his policy also, he shall cause deceit to prosper. Deceit to prosper in his hand, and he shall magnify himself in his heart. And this is interesting, by peace shall destroy many. By peace? Yeah. Not war? No. Peace? Yeah. By peace he will destroy many. Can we go back to Second Thessalonians 2? You okay so far? Verse 9, the coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with how Satan works. He will use all sorts of displays of power through signs and wonders that serve the lie, and all the ways that wickedness deceives those who are perishing. They perish because they refuse to love the truth, and so be saved. For this reason, verse 11, God sends them a powerful delusion, so that they will believe the lie, and so that all will be condemned who have not, this is important, who have not believed the truth, but have delighted in wickedness. In other words, they've already rejected the truth. Who's the truth? Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And they have rejected Jesus, the truth. And so God just says, okay, I'm not going to force you. You've made up your mind, you've hardened your heart, and you've sealed your fate. So I'm going to give you over to this powerful delusion to believe this lie. Now, these prophecies and the others along with them provide us with a gauge of sorts for their final fulfillment from front to finish. Let me explain. 
once they began to come to pass, they set in motion the inevitable progression towards their ultimate and final fulfillment. I've oftentimes referenced Bible prophecy as having a shelf life, uh, an expiration date, uh, a striking while the iron is hot. Because once something is in motion, you've just got a window of time with which to complete that which has begun. And I see Bible prophecy this way. This is why I see all that has happened and is happening as being the end. Because it has already started. That first shoe is already dropped. Now the other one has to drop. You've already set it in motion. It's inevitable. And as such, it's now just a matter of time in the sense that this other prophetic shoe, as it were, must subsequently and ultimately drop. If you'll kindly allow me to, I'll specifically address the significance of these prophecies that were set in motion back in 2020, when the first shoe dropped. And we're going to start with the first month of the year 2020, January and what's been dubbed the deal of the century, which was to bring peace to the Middle East. The sole goal of said peace plan was for both Jews and so-called Palestinians to live side by side together in peace and security. It should be noted that this peace plan is titled Peace to Prosperity. Does that sound like the prophecy we just read in Daniel? That's because that's what the prophecy is that we just read in Daniel. So it comports with Daniel's prophecy and the specificity of Daniel's prophecy concerning, key word again, deceit, deceit prospering, the prosperity of this deception and peace will be the catalyst for the destruction. This peace plan is not about peace with Israel. It's about the destruction of Israel. You know, uh, many years ago, uh, Yasser Arafat, remember him? We want peace. No, you don't. He would say that when he was in the U.S., but then he would go back to Ramallah and in Arabic say, peace for us means the destruction of Israel. And he would say it just like that too, with the, all the enunciation. Actually said that in Arabic. Now it's important to understand that this is Islam. And it started with Muhammad and then Saladin after him. You make peace with your enemy, then you destroy your enemy. This is their playbook. This is what they're doing. <laughs> You, you think they want to live side by side in peace and security with the Jews? No, they want to kill the Jews. That was really uh, harsh the way I just said that. But it's true. It's true. They hate the Jews. They want to kill the Jews. They want to destroy the Jews. Well, how are they going to do it? Hey, come on. We make peace deal. Have I got a deal for you? <laughs> we make peace with you. Yeah, okay, peace, peace. There's no peace. And by peace, 
many will be destroyed. This destroying of Israel by peace comes vis-a-vis Israel relinquishing any and all claims as seen here in section 21 on page 38 of this Peace to Prosperity Plan. It's under the heading of End of Claims, End of Conflict. I have to say that this is written in a very insidious way, so as to imply that Israel must comply with the agreement and end their claims in order to end the conflict. In other words, Israel, you want peace? You want an end to the conflict? Yes. Well, then you need to end your claims, your legitimate claims to the land, and namely Jerusalem. This is wrong on every level for a number of reasons, not the least of which is that it's their land given to Israel by God Himself. Um, and that's an Arab telling you that, by the way, just so you know. It does not belong to the Arabs. The reason I say so-called Palestinians is because there's no such thing as a, a Palestinian. The Palestinian name comes literally transliterated from Philistine. Well, the Philistines are gone. They've been extinct. David actually eliminated all of the Philistines. So where did we get the name Palestine and uh, Philistine and Palestinian? Well, when Jerusalem was destroyed, as Jesus prophesied. Rome named it after the arch enemy of Israel, who was the arch enemy of Israel, the Philistines. So actually they started off with Syria, El Capitolina, which doesn't fit on a card very well, so they shortened it to just Philistia. Philistia, translated Palestine not because of the Palestinians, but because of the enemy of the Israelites. The land belongs to Israel. I just want to say this parenthetically. I don't want to get uh, too far into it because my blood pressure will go up. But I do take issue with anyone who will, even in some of your Bibles, don't look right now, but they'll, they'll say, you know, map of Palestine when Jesus was here. Excuse me? Excuse me. It wasn't Palestine. It was Israel. <laughs> Bible commentators, yeah, back in Palestine, stop calling it that. Well, yeah, but it was named that for 2,000 years. I know, but it's Israel. It is the land belonging to Israel. Any claim is illegitimate from anyone other than the Jew. God gave it to them. Yeah, but pastor, uh, it, it's Abraham that God made the covenant with. Yes, He did. That's in Genesis. In fact, you have the real estate transaction of this property and where the property lines are of the promised land that God gave to Israel. But I want to start with Deuteronomy chapter 34, verse 4. And I think you'll see why here in a moment. Now, we're told that the Lord said to him, speaking of Moses, this is the land of which I swore to give Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I have caused you, Moses, to see it with your eyes, but you shall not cross over there. And we know why from the account. Joshua 21:43. So the Lord gave to Israel 
all the land of which he had sworn to give to their fathers. And they took possession of it and dwelt in it. It gets better, Isaiah 14.1. For the Lord will have mercy on Jacob. Stop right there. You know who Jacob was? Uh, this is the Jacob that wrestled with the Lord all night, and God broke him and changed his name from Yahob, Jacob, to Israel. So I'm going to have mercy on Jacob slash Israel, and will still choose Israel and settle them in their own land. Now this is interesting. The strangers will be joined with them. I think he's talking about my people. And they will cling to the house of Jacob. They can cling, and they are, but it's not their land. It's the land that was given to Israel. Jeremiah 30, verse 3. For behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will bring back from captivity my people Israel and Judah. That's even more specific. Southern Judah, Jerusalem, says the Lord. And I will cause them to the return to the land that I gave to their fathers, and they shall possess it. Ezekiel 37, verse 12. We know this as the dead bones prophecy. And Ezekiel is just baffled. <laughs> How can these dead bones come to life? And I know this is a loose paraphrase, but it's like God's like, watch me now. Watch me now. Therefore prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God, behold, O my people, I will open your graves and cause you to come up from your graves and bring you into the land of Israel. It belongs to Israel only. Question, why is this delineation and distinction of such paramount importance. Because if you stop at Genesis with Abraham only, then one can deceptively lay claim to the land under the banner of it belonging to all the descendants of Abraham. Enter the Abraham Accords Peace Agreement. This was part of the aforementioned first shooter drop in September of 2020, along with the Peace to Prosperity Plan in January of 2020. Here's a couple of quotes. They're very telling from page one. Quote, determined to ensure lasting peace, stability, security, and prosperity. Oh my goodness. What do they they, I, they have to know? Peace, security, prosperity, stability. For both their states and to develop and enhance their dynamic and innovative economies. Aw. Still quoting. And I want you to watch this. Recognizing that the Arab and Jewish peoples are descendants of a common ancestor, Abraham. That's true. And inspired in that spirit to foster in the Middle East a reality in which Muslims, Jews, Christians, and peoples of all faiths, denominations, beliefs, and nationalities live in and are committed to a spirit of coexistence, mutual understanding, and mutual respect. Here's a quote from page two under paragraph four titled, 
of course, peace and stability. The parties shall attach profound importance to mutual understanding, cooperation, and coordination between them in the spheres of peace and stability. I'm not looking up for that other shoe to drop. I'm looking up for Jesus to come and get us out of here. Because this is exactly what we're told would be happening when He comes to catch us up. And by the way, they, 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 not we, is sudden destruction when they uh, page two, peace and security. Sudden destruction is going to come upon them. Pictured here is a publication from Arabian Business, this last Wednesday actually, <laughs> about the most interesting timing of the opening of the Abrahamic family house. Five days ago, this is Sunday, Wednesday, they opened it, grand opening for Christian, Jewish, and Muslim worshipers. What's wrong with that? Everything! No! No! A quick quote from the Post. I probably shouldn't, but why not? The Abrahamic, I'm sorry about the added <laughs> emphasis. I have to, or else I'll, I'll yell and scream and cry and that wouldn't be good. So the Abrahamic family house, a unified complex located in Saadiyat Island, Abu Dhabi, featuring a mosque, a church, and a synagogue, was inaugurated on February 16th. The Abrahamic family house is now officially open to the public starting Wednesday, March 1st, last Wednesday. The complex will act as a cultural and architectural beacon of peaceful human coexistence that represents each of the Abrahamic faiths, according to a statement by the Abu Dhabi media office. Um, that's why it is, by the way, and please don't be ignorant. I, I'm just quoting the Apostle Paul. Don't get mad at me. Don't be ignorant, okay? Don't let them, they do that. Oh yeah, we're all children of Father Abraham. Yeah. So we want to live together, coexist in peace and security. What's your problem? My problem is, is that God gave that land to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob's descendants. Now you, not my people. Let my people go back to <laughs> where they came from. This is not their land. <laughs> Again, emphasis added. I, you know, Arabs are very passionate people. That's my story, and I'm sticking with it. I remember as a kid growing up, my, my mom and dad spoke Arabic in the home. And my goodness, I always thought, this is before I learned the language, which I did later on. But uh, I always thought, man, mo mom and dad are like yelling at each other, so angry with each other all the time. So I asked my mom about it one time. I said, Mom, why are you and Dad always, you know, angry with each other? She says, Oh no, Habibi, we, this is how we talk. You know, Arabic's a really rough language, yeah? I'm going to give you the word for welcome or greetings in Arabic. You ready for it? Wait for it. Marhaba. Oh, you got to get that. You got to clear your throat and spit on that person. And then, Marhaba, what'd you call me? I just said, welcome. <laughs> you know, my dad was a, a French teacher. I and mean, we need a little bit of levity right now. 
Is that okay? My dad was, he taught foreign languages high school. He knew six languages, by the way. He taught French, uh, of particular interest, because isn't it true that whenever you are with somebody and they're using very colorful language and they find out you're a Christian and they'll always say, excuse my French, to which I always say, I'm sorry, that's not French. I just want you to know that is not French. But I'll tell you something about French. What a Oh, it's such a smooth language. Voulez-vous, you know? <laughs> it's kind of like, oh, thank you. I just cursed you to your face. <laughs> I can bless you in Arabic. You think it's a curse. I can curse you in French. You think it's a blessing. <laughs> anyway, I'm trying to argue my, my case here for being so... <laughs> Don't let them do that. Don't let them get away with that. Because see, they're going to stop at Abraham because that's the only way they can get anywhere close to anything that resembles a legitimate claim to the land that God gave to Jacob slash Israel. And it's Isaac, not Ishmael. See, they try to go back to Ishmael. And there's even a, a passage that says, hey, you know, Hagar, I'm going to bless you and your descendants. That's Ishmael. And you remember the whole Ishmael thing, right? And then you've got Isaac, and then they have twin boys in the womb, Esau and Jacob. And you know what the name, because the name is the nature, you know what the name Jacob means? It means heel snatcher, conniver. And God, when He changed His name, you will no longer be a heel snatcher. Uh, now your name will be Israel, which means governed by God. Oh, I like that. I'll take it. I never liked my name to begin with, which is why I changed my name from Wahid to JD. Okay, enough of my problems. So this shoe dropped in 2020, January 2020, and then September 2020. And now it's just a matter of time before the other shoe drops. Well, this brings us to the third specific prophecy that was set in motion in 2020. This was at the end of 2020, and it's actually been referred to as the final solution, quote unquote. So let's go ahead and end the live stream now before it's too late. So you know where I'm going, right, with this. And by the way, it was one Bill Gates who said, quote, of the vaccine, so-called, it will be the final solution. Um, this in 2020 was known as Operation Warp Speed. That was part of the first shoe to drop, also in 2020. Pictured here is a screenshot of a PDF file from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the U.S. Department of Defense, hmm, titled, Explaining Operation Warp Speed. Here's a quick quote. Operation Warp Speed aims to begin delivery of 300 million doses of a safe, effective vaccine for COVID-19 by January 2021. So this shoe dropped at the end of 2020 and the beginning of 2021. Now fast forward in warp speed, pun intended, to the beginning of 2023. This supposed safe and effective vaccine, so-called, 
has been injected into what some believe to be several billion with a B people all over the world. And it's for this reason that the other shoe will absolutely drop at any time now, such that it will go from a needle in and on the arm to a mark in and on the forehand or forehead. We've gone in depth into this over the last three years, the technology that's already in place. It's actually been in place for many, many years, and it's evidenced by this video that was posted nine years ago now on the TED Talks YouTube channel. It's titled, Mark Kendall Demo, a needle-free vaccine patch that's safer and way cheaper. So here's an excerpt from the very end of the video, and I want you to listen very carefully. Now, quoting, standing here today in front of you at the birthplace of the needle and syringe, a device that's 160 years old, I'm presenting to you an alternative approach that could really help make that happen. And it's the nano patch with its attributes of being needle free, pain free. It's just something that you put on the skin. And picture it here as a screenshot from the YouTube video. You can see it penetrating into the skin and the bloodstream. Now, again, we've talked about this in depth over the last three years, but this is very specific when it comes to that very well-known prophecy in Revelation chapter 13. So it will just be a stamp, tattoo, mark. And they use those words in describing this nano patch technology. And it delivers this into the human body. One more thing on this, and it's once again from this Dr. Albert Borla. He's the president and CEO of Pfizer. And he was interviewed recently by the Economic Club of Chicago. And I want to share with you what he said. Quoting, COVID was like a rehearsal for me, a general rehearsal. Translated, that wasn't the main event. No, that was just the first shoe. That, that was just the rehearsal. Now, just wait for the other shoe to drop. Um, I may have uh, said this before, and I, I want to be careful in, in how I say it, because I know people get weird and think I'm weird, which I am, but I just, I have the gift of weird. So it's a gift. I know it's not a biblical gift, but I still have it. Um, this man, this Borla, he's demon possessed at best. He is demon possessed at best. If you've watched him talk you don't have to be um, that spiritually discerning of the spirits. Uh, he's at best demon possessed. At worst, I would question whether or not he's actually still fully human. He may already be transhuman, which is where everything is going right now. And if that sounds far-fetched, then you need to, in your own research, understand what this whole fourth industrial revolution is about with Klaus Schwab and all of those with him, by the way. And you look at these guys, and 
the reason I even bring it up is because if they're still fully human and not yet transhuman, and by transhuman I mean their human DNA has been altered. Klaus Schwab has described transhumanism as merging man with machine. So they, ha they have computerized chips in them, operating them as an operating system, so they are not fully human. They're, they're computerized transhumans. And I'll just list a couple of names here. Uh, Elon Musk, Mark Zuckerberg. Uh, I'm going to put Jeff Bezos in there. Uh, I'd mentioned a couple other names, but I'm not going to. I should, but I won't. Right? I'm not supposed to. Okay, good. I'm not going to then. But I only do that because I want you to, when you see these guys talk like this, I want you to discern what spirit they are of. This is satanic. This is satanic. This is demonic. And for this guy to say this, this was just the test run. This was just the first shoe. This was just a, a rehearsal. You should see what's about to drop next. Well, I'm going to end the way I began and simply say that we're not going to have to wait too much longer for this other shoe to drop with how fast everything is now moving at warp speed, again, pun intended. And when it does, the rapture will happen. By the way, spoiler alert, the rapture is still happening, contrary to what people are saying. It is absolutely going to happen. And let me add to that, that we are not in the seven-year tribulation yet. We cannot be in the seven-year tribulation yet. Oh, pastor, you're always so dogmatic. Okay, okay. I'm going to get a little bit snarky here. Um, can you imagine if scripturally it was left ambiguous? Yeah, you know, it could, could be, maybe. Yeah, possibly. When it comes to eschatology. Uh, how about salvation? <laughs> could you imagine? Let's talk about Jesus for just a moment. Imagine that. Talk about Jesus. Um, what if Jesus said, you know, I'm a way, you know, let's not be so dogmatic and narrow-minded here. You know, I'm a way, a truth, a life. No. It's pretty dogmatic. I'm the way. There's no other way. I'm the only way to the Father. No one gets to the Father except through me. Yeah, that's uh, dogmatic, isn't it? Yeah. That's, uh, oh, you're so narrow-minded. You're so black and white. I mean, it's pretty black and white here. Could you imagine we're going to go through the ABCs of salvation and the, and the Romans road as it's affectionately referred to. Could you imagine if it said, Romans 10, 13, all who call on the name of the Lord have a very good chance of being saved. Let's not be dogmatic. No. Will, will, it will happen. The rapture will happen. Well, it could be, you know, mid, post. No! <sighs> it has to happen before the seven-year tribulation. Uh, the rapture will happen. Then the Antichrist is revealed, 2 Thessalonians 2. Then the seven-year peace covenant will be confirmed and enforced, Ikbir, Daniel 9.27. And this enforcing of the seven-year peace agreement is what starts the seven-year tribulation, which again, 
cannot happen until after the rapture of the church. 2 Thessalonians 2. After the Holy Spirit, the restrainer is taken out of the way and the church is taken up, then, then, key word. Can I just do that one more time? It felt really good. Then, that's when, then, yeah. One one more thing. Have I said one more thing yet? No. So this is the one more thing. Paul, at the end of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, he goes, we're going to be caught up, and then, and then, and therefore encourage one another with these words. Could you imagine if if the rapture was not before the seven-year tribulation? How cruel would that be? You're going to be beheaded. Go through the wrath of God and prove yourself. Because of course you're not saved by grace. You're saved by grace if. No. You're going to be beheaded. You've got to stand firm. You're going to be martyred. That's the tribulation saints, not the church. Uh, no, you're going to be caught up, taken out. You're going to escape. They won't. You will. Um, be encouraged. I'm not encouraged if I'm going into the tribulation. I'm terrified. And I'm hunkering down. If I'm not going up, I'm hunkering down. I said, no, don't, don't hunker down. You're going up. Don't bother. No worries. You're not going to be here. Be encouraged. I am. <laughs> okay, this will be one, one more, last one more thing. You know, it used to really get to me. I think I'm doing a little bit better by the grace of God on this. But when people would say something like, you pre-tribbers, you just want to escape. I'm like, yeah, actually I do. I, you don't? I said, okay, well, they will not escape. That means they are going to be some who do escape. We. Be a we. I'm a we. That's a shirt or a hat, isn't it? Be a we. Okay. I feel much better now. I don't know if you do. Okay. So stay with me here. Okay. So rapture. Then the Antichrist is revealed. Then the peace agreement, seven years, is confirmed. Then the temple is rebuilt. Then at the three and a half year mark, the Antichrist will commit the abomination that causes desolation. And the mark of the beast will be enforced when the other shoe drops in order for anyone to do anything chiefly as it relates to buying and selling. And this, of course, again, is the prophecy in Revelation 13. So the first shoe dropped this, notice, 160-year-old technology, the syringe and the needle. Well, we have new technology now. So the first shoe is the outdated, obsolete, antiquated needle. So the next shoe that's going to drop is going to be this new technology, a mark, a stamp, a tattoo, a patch. Looks like a Band-Aid, by the way. It's going to drop at any time. You know, every Sunday I end with the gospel and the ABCs of salvation, because I truly believe this with all of my heart, and the Lord knows my heart. could be the last time I do this. That's how soon I believe the rapture is and could be. So what is the gospel? It's the good news that Jesus was crucified, buried, and rose again on the third day, and He's coming back again one day soon and very soon. That's the good news. What are the ABCs? Just a childlike, simple explanation of salvation. The A is for admit or acknowledge that you've sinned. Because think about it, if you're not a sinner, why would you need a Savior? 
is when you acknowledge that you've sinned. Romans 3.10 says, there is no one righteous, not even one. And Romans 3.23 tells us why. It's because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We've all missed the mark. Romans 6.23 says, there's a penalty for that. The wages of sin is death. But here's the good news. The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's the A. Here's the B. Very central. Believe in your heart. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever would believe would not perish, but have everlasting life. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, if you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, you will keyword, be saved. Will. The jury's not out. The verdict is in. It's not ambiguous. And lastly, the C is for call upon the name of the Lord, or as Romans 10, 9 and 10 also says, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. And here's why. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. And lastly, just referenced it, Romans 10, 13, all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Seals the deal. Is that simple? Childlike simple? Too simple, maybe? That's the gospel. Well, I want to end with today's But God testimony. It's uh, kind of a special one. It comes from Caden Birdsey, who writes, Hello, Pastor J.D. My name is Caden Birdsey, and I'm 14 years old. And I wanted to share my testimony with you, hoping it would help other kids my age. I wrote it out in a poem because I fear it would be too long otherwise. So I'm going to read the poem, and I hope I do it justice. The name is Who Am I? I'm Caden Birdsey, and I'm from many places. I'm like the wind. I don't stay, but I go. I'm from a small town, but many homes. I'm from gas station to gas station. I'm from muddy water that is only clear for some. I'm from big families, latch keys and night shifts, absent fathers and single mothers. I'm from child services and EBT food stamps. I'm from hit and runs in broad day. I'm from libraries a block away. I'm from the foot my mom lost from her surgery. I'm from the finger my grandpa lost from a saw. I'm from the cancer that took my grandma's life. I'm from you. Better be in this house before the straight lights come on. I am from woman, women who have kids too early. I am from framed obituaries. I'm from screen doors to no doors. I'm from a small legacy. I'm from sleepless nights. I'm from a war that is still not over. I'm from many places. And then she goes on to write, I moved in with my Nana at the age of 13 and started learning about our Lord Jesus Christ. I am now a member of His family starting June 9th, 2021. You have become my pastor, and I'm now a proud member of our church. 14 years old. Capono, come on up. Why don't you go ahead and stand. We'll close in prayer and song. And as always, I appreciate your patience with me. Father in heaven, I, uh, <laughs> how do I, how do we even begin to adequately express to you our gratitude, our thanksgiving 
Oh, Lord, thank you for the gift of eternal life that you paid for, for us instead of us. You died, your blood shed in our stead so that we could live forever with you. Thank you, Lord, for the blessed hope of the pre-tribulation rapture, because that's our only hope, that soon and very soon that trumpet's going to sound and the dead in Christ are going to rise first. And we, Lord, who remain and are alive are going to be caught up and we're going to see our loved ones again with their new bodies. And then we're going to get our new bodies and we're going to meet you in the air and forever be with you. Oh, Lord, too high for our understanding. But what hope that gives us. Lord, I pray for anyone who might be here in this church service or watching online that has never come to you, surrendered to you, called upon you, put their trust in you, believed in you. Lord, I pray that today, right here and right now, that they would not delay the most important decision of their life for eternal life. Please, Lord, let today be the day of their salvation, we pray in Jesus' name.